Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Welcome to the screening room, and this week's podcast has a definite theme. Bill Murray has a song about it. Ah, Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars. Give me the Star Wars. All right, maybe not nothing but Star Wars, <laughs> but a lot about Star Wars. So she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. And no doubt about it, the big movie everywhere this week is the latest for Star Wars. It's The Last Jedi. I've seen this raw strength only once before. Let the past die. Kill it. That's the only way to become what you were meant to be. Well, the reins for this one have been handed over to writer-director Ryan Johnson. If you're not familiar with Ryan Johnson, he's made a couple of impressive films. Love Looper. I love the film Looper. It's a lot of fun. It is such a great movie. And also one of his, maybe his first film, is a super cool kind of noir movie called Brick. It's like set in high school. It's such a great movie. Yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the star of that. If you haven't seen it, it's worth checking out. But anyway, after J.J. Abrams did The Force Awakens, which we liked a lot, but I think most everyone can agree that really what The Force Awakens did, and it did it very well, was to take our memories of what we love from the very first Star Wars film, A New Hope, recycle them, and sell them back to us. Right, well, it was really from the first trilogy. You've got images, and you do, you've but... got bits and pieces from all three of, of the uh, the first, the 70s and 80s Star Wars films. And I think that you see a little bit of that in this Not one. Not nearly as but much. But he breaks a lot more new ground with this. Yeah, he lets so... characters become themselves. Right, so so J.J. Abrams did that. And now he's, a, he's, of course, a producer on this, mm-hmm. but Ryan Johnson has taken over this one. Um, and then from what I understand, how it's going to go is, for the, for the final film in this trilogy, the one that's going to come next, it's going to go back to J.J. Abrams. And then they're going to start another trilogy, and at least the plans right now are, are for those, all three of those, to be Ryan Johnson. And that kind of makes sense, because I think one of the things I like best about The Last Jedi is, you're right, it does, it honors, it has an affection for the legacy of the franchise, but it also, I think, makes it very clear that we're moving on. Right. And so I think, like you say, having uh, Abrams come back in for the third installment, I think will help close some of the doors of, uh, you know, the leftover sort of storylines from the original trilogy. Yeah, so this one picks up with uh, Ray, of course, has found Luke Skywalker. And he had that, you know, that one scene with no... Brilliant! It was brilliant. It was such I mean, a great way to close that with film. With no dialogue in The Force Awakens, it was. It was so brilliant. I mean, talk about... One of the biggest entrances in movie history. I mean, mm-hmm. my lord, what a drum roll. And then you you see him, he doesn't say a word, and it's so it, it works so well. It's a brilliant move. So obviously this film is gonna have a lot more of Luke Skywalker, and it does, as as Ray and Luke are interacting, and at the same time, uh, you brought it up very well in uh, the our written review of this movie that's on our website, madwolf.com. And that's a review that we collaborated on. A lot of times for the big movies, we write them together. But anyway, one of your points was that the yin and the yang of this movie is developed through Ray, played by Daisy Ridley, and 
Kylo, Kylo Ren. Ren. Kylo Ren, the former Ben Solo. Adam Driver. Kylo Ren, Adam Driver. And Adam Driver really gets a chance to to stretch in this movie. He does. In the in the, the Force Awakens, you you're introduced to him as sort of an impetuous, angry, you know, would-be villain, but he really comes into his own in this film and I and Adam Driver is a very talented he actor. Is. He is. And I loved where he went with this character. I I, I did too. And that's not taking anything away from Daisy Ridley, oh, but no. I think she really made her splash in the first she film. She did, absolutely. She, she came pretty much out of nowhere and made such a great new hero. And that has continued in this movie, but there's a lot more chance for, for growth for Adam Driver in this movie. So you have that going on, that relationship. There's a connection there. They have some, some great scenes together, and there's some mystery about what's going on here. Why do they have this connection? And we're still wondering who her parents are. What's the deal? Why is she so strong with the Force and, and, and Luke doesn't want to train her? Or maybe he does, and what's going on? So there's a lot of that to drive the narrative. And then you've got the whole part of the First Order, which which Kylo Ren, of course, is a big part of, trying to rule the galaxy. And you've still got this band of resistance fighters led by General now, Leia Organa, which is the, the bittersweet final performance of Carrie Fisher, which certainly adds some emotion to mm. the whole film. Mm -hmm. It really does. Uh, and then you've got on her side, you've got Poe, played by Oscar Isaac. I was really happy he had yeah. uh, he had a, a, a bigger part in you this one. You knew he one. would. Yeah, you did know he would. So they introduced him in the last one, but then he was gone for most of the film. Yeah. And and in this one, he plays a bigger a bigger part. And I was glad about that for one thing because Oscar Isaac is one of the most talented actors working today. He's great. He's, he's always great. He's an incredible talent, but also because. In this film, in this franchise, but in this film in particular, he's so funny. Yeah. You know, the opening sequence of this movie is a <laughs> laugh riot. It's a great it's a great gag. And there is a, a decent amount of humor in this there movie. There is. Not uh, sort of to the Thor extent. It doesn't no, it doesn't undermine no. the drama in any way, but it, it no. does help to add a little levity. But you know, all the all the original Star Wars films did. You know, they had some some wise crackiness to it. Yeah. Uh, so this has some humor and it's very clear to see that uh, Oscar Isaac Poe is stepping into the Han Solo role. Right. You know, the, 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 never the, tell me the odds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a flyboy. Yeah, yeah. He's a crazy flyboy. You know, and that's fine. That's part of this movie getting ready to get, getting us ready to move past the nostalgia as we go on in future films. So there's an expanded role for Poe, and there's there's a continued big role for Finn, played by John Boyega. Right. But then we meet some new. Some new additions yeah. uh, that we tend to, that we learn to care about as well, and that's the great thing about this movie because one of the many great things it's long, it's two hours and twenty minutes or so, but it doesn't feel like now it. Now, here's for me, here's why: there is very little exposition right. in this movie. It is basically one long battle scene <laughs> that is periodically broken up with what's going on with Luke Skywalker. But I mean, it's there's it's just and I and I loved that. You just go from one battle scene and they just follow each other through space. To I mean, it's it's yeah. and it's, it looks great. It does. It looks great. But I mean, the the fact that the entire story is being built during this long action sequence means that you're always moving forward. You know, yep. that you it never stalls, it never slows down, which which again makes it seem like it doesn't take as long as it does. Yeah, I was really surprised. It it moved and when it was over I thought, wow, you know, and, and looked at the time and yeah, it has a has an extended running time, as you would expect a movie like this to do, to have, but it yeah, it does not feel like it. And um it's a minor point, but for me, in The Force Awakens, I was bugged by how Supreme Leader Snoke looked. I didn't think he looked great, especially because Andy Serkis plays him. And Andy Serkis, usually when he's involved in some sort of CGI, it's fantastic. Yes. Uh, much better this time. Yeah. Much better yeah, this time. Agreed. So that's, you know, that's maybe nitpicky, but it's, it's part of the whole film looking great. And 
The whole ensemble is fantastic. Certainly not going to give any, any spoilers whatsoever as we're talking about this, but there's just so much to like about it. I, I think when you have somebody like Ryan Johnson, who was really just given complete freedom right. uh, from everything I read, he was given pretty much carte blanche. And I have to say, he did a fantastic job in, like, a, like I've said before, honoring what you loved about the original films and then getting you ready and saying, you know what, okay, now it's time to, to, to move on. And that's a, that's a tough thing to do. Mm. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's clear we're going to come back for one more of this trilogy and revisit these characters again. But then I would not be surprised if that's it. And they're moving on yeah. with these new characters. And I think, judging from this film alone, there's plenty of reason to be okay with that. Yeah, I agree. And it's funny because this is going to be the anchor storyline, like these characters in this mm-hmm. time period. But, you know, I was really, really surprised by how much I liked Rogue One. So I'm looking forward to all of the offshoots, all of the ones that are not part of the storyline, but are either prequels or, you know, I really am looking forward to those because I was so impressed by Rogue One. I agree with you. And maybe it was my fault for not expecting as much from it. I'm like, oh, it's just another side, side project, Star Wars side project. No, it was very, very well done. And I think it just gives you a sense of confidence with everyone involved in taking over this franchise. Man. So far, it's been thumbs up all the way. So uh, if that's, I don't know who's at the very top, if it's Kathleen Kennedy or Abrams or whoever, they are making good choices with who they are getting to do these films. So, yeah, full speed ahead with that. Big, big recommendations, as if you were waiting for our recommendation (laughs) to see this movie. Now you can go. Now you can go. But, uh, yeah, big, big recommendations for The Last Jedi. You know, it's also kind of surprising this week that as quiet as it's been comparatively the last couple of weeks, there's so much else that's opening, at least in wide release this week, to go against Star Wars. Right, which is uncommon. Usually Star Wars has its own weekend. Yeah, but you know what? There's some good movies to talk about, and one of them expanding its release this week is, we think, one of the best of the year. In In a 1960s research facility, a mute janitor forms a relationship with an aquatic Creature. It's the latest from Guillermo del Toro. It's called The Shape of Water. You clean that lab, you get out. She deaf? Mute, sir. She can hear you. The thing we keep in there is an affront. And I should know, I dragged it all the way here. We need to take it apart, learn how it works. What happened? It's an animal. I'm just keeping it tame. I can either save him. I'll let him die. Don't do this, Eliza. Don't do this. Eliza, honey, he's coming for you. It's a romance movie with monsters. <laughs> I don't think I could be happier. And it's a beautiful film. It is so gorgeous. Guillermo del Toro is uh, a really a visionary filmmaker. And, and he's got some hits and some misses, but when he hits, he hits it out of the park, and, and that's what you've got with this. And it's clear he's such a romantic. Oh, I mean, he is. Talk about wearing it on his sleeve. He is such a romantic, and this filmed this film is just bathed in romance. It really but is. It, it's, it's so and beautifully oddest, done of the oddest sort, you know. And you just you just really tip your hat to. The way it was written, the way it was filmed, all in blues and greens. And, it, you know, it, it's just yeah, a wash in water. It's a yeah. beautiful, beautiful movie. And Sally Hawkins is magnificent. Sally Hawkins, what, what a year she's had. Really with, with two yeah. main roles. I might have mentioned before a movie called Maudie from earlier this year that nobody saw that she was fantastic in. 
and this one she's equally a fan. This this will be the one that gets her the nominations. And I, I'm not quibbling about no, that. No, but, but but one of the reasons, you know, is because she doesn't speak. Yeah. And yet you sort of don't even it doesn't so much register after a while because she really does carry the film. She does. Without having to deliver any dialogue. Yeah, I mean, she does an amazing job. She's phenomenal. And it is said, yeah, it's about 1960 in the Cold War, and they, she and Octavia Spencer are buddies, and they, they work as uh, janitors in this facility. And Michael Shannon is kind of the lead heavy here, the lead guy protecting this new creature that they found, and they're trying to study because, of course, they want to keep it out of the hands of the Russians, right. who also want it, and they want to learn about what this creature is because it's kind of half man, half fish. You know, can breathe underwater and for, for it's a... amphibian man, yes, they call it. amphibian him. man, and for a time can breathe out of water. So, And then uh, Sally Hawkins, Eliza, her character, develops this connection with the creature. And um, you've got some other Cold War stuff going on. Michael... Stuhlbarg, who's also always good, mm -hmm. is one of the uh, attending doctors, uh, scientists, researchers. Uh, yeah. Researchers, yeah. So there's a little bit of a, of a of a suspense kind of chase there about who's going to get the technology. As you have Eliza continuing to care so much about this creature and free it from its pain, right? And then and then mix into that because right there, so you've got some of the greatest character actors working oh, today. Oh, the cast, and so we can't forget Richard Jenkins. Oh, Rich, how can I forget Richard right, so Jenkins? Richard Jenkins, Michael Stuhlbarg, uh, yeah. Michael Shannon, yeah. Octavia Spencer, and Sally Hawkins. Yeah. Now, not none of those are necessarily A-list names, although you've got some Oscar winners and nominees among them. But they are that is as rock solid a cast as you will ever find. Rock solid, rock solid. Yeah, Richard Jenkins kind of. In a way, he sort of narrates the film a little bit, um, and he's your passage to the goings-on, and he's the neighbor of, uh, of Eliza, mm -hmm. Sally Hawkins' character. And he, yeah, he's great. You're right. This entire ensemble is so great. And but if you just take it back to Del Toro and what it is he's saying here, I mean, it's such a mash note to the outsider. That's really what it is. And being set as it is in 1960 and in Baltimore, which is where the facility is set, you know, there, without being super heavy-handed about it, there are racial tensions, there are socioeconomic tensions, there's some, some gay bashing happening, and there's a lot of, again, it's not overt about any of it, but it's just sort of a way with this creature, clearly an outsider, and yet one of us, and, and deserving of love and deserving of freedom and deserving of so many things, and it's, and it's just at a certain point, the film just asks, you know, when are you going to do what you have to do? And, it, and it's, a, it's a really beautiful story in that way. Yeah, and that's not a new theme for Del Toro. No. In fact, the actor who plays the amphibian man, Doug Jones, has also played, he played the... Pale the, man. The pale man with Pan's the eyes, Labyrinth. with the eyeballs mm -hmm. in his hands in Pan's Labyrinth, and he played in Hellboy, mm -hmm. he also played kind of an amphibious yes. man. Yeah. So. So he's uh, not new to this either. But yeah, it's a theme that Del Toro has done before, and he does it so well. And you're right, not every film of his has worked like this. Probably none have worked this well. I mean, Pan's we Labyrinth. Forgive me if I'm, but but I'm going to say Pan's Labyrinth is his masterpiece, and Shape of Water is his second. Okay. A lot of people put it in the other in the other order, and I understand yeah, that. Yeah, I, I I might I might go in the other order, but uh, you could talk me out of it. But, uh, but yeah. th those these are his two best. Yeah, and it's it's definitely one it, you can hopefully make time for. Of course, you're going to make time for Star Wars: The Last Jedi. I totally understand, but make time for this one because this is the one that's going to get Oscars. It is going to get Oscars, and if if not Oscars, it'll definitely get nominated for yeah. Oscars. It yeah. should definitely be there at awards season. One of the best of the year: The Shape of Water. Also getting wide release this week, a movie that takes us to Coney Island in the 1950s. A lifeguard telling the story of a middle-aged carousel operator and his beleaguered wife. 
Wonder Wheel. I know where all the bodies are buried. Did he, did he kiss you? Why are you getting so heated? I'm gonna find My head is pounding. Everything's coming apart. You look a little crazy to me. When it comes to love, we often turn out to be our own worst enemy. I know what it is you did. Well, don't you think you're being a little melodramatic? This is the latest film from Woody Allen. Well, I guess I should check my watch. <laughs> if this is the latest film for Woody Allen, because he cranks them out. Yeah, he does at least one a year every and year. At least one a year. And the sheer volume of movies that he continues to put out really almost guarantees that some are going to hit, some are going to miss, and some are going to be in the middle. And I think this one falls squarely in the middle, especially of his last, say, 10 or 15 years, mm-hmm. which has seen some really good stuff. I mean, Midnight in Paris, yeah. um, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Blue Jasmine. Blue Jasmine. Yeah, yeah, and then you've got, you know, your Cassandra Dreams and your uh, your Magic in the Moonlights. Mm-hmm. This one is not that bad, but it didn't... It, it's, for me, it was sort of all over the place in what exactly is the point here. It had things about it that didn't quite mesh with other things. Yeah, I agree with you. First of all, it looked great. It looked spectacular. It did look great. You know, great. The, the whole nostalgic Coney Island imagery got was... Got it down. Yeah, just gorgeous. And the cast is great. Kate Winslet leads it, and you can never go wrong there. And Jim Belushi! Yeah. Never in my life would I thought I'd hear my own self say, Jim Belushi was great. Well, you know what? He's Woody Allen, again, He's he's been doing that in the last few years. He's been casting a little bit outside his usual comfort zone. You know, with Blue Jasmine, he cast Andrew Dice Clay. Who was great. Who also rose to the occasion. He was great. And Jim Belushi rises to the occasion here. Yeah, you've got... Also and got Juno Temple Juno was great. Temple, Justin Timberlake plays the lifeguard, Mickey. He's a little saddled with a very... He is. ...unbelievable... I think Just he, a completely unbelievable I, character. I think he does a perfectly respectable job, but the problem is that, yeah, number one, his, his character narrates in a fourth wall variety, mm-hmm. you know, speaking right to the camera. And I, I didn't think that worked at all. No. And the character is very shallow, very one note. Mm-hmm. We really don't get a lot of depth to that character. And I think that's where it starts to go wrong because the performance from Kate Winslet, I think, could be looked at very similarly to Kate Blanchett's Blue Jasmine. Yeah. He took that character and that incredible Oscar-winning performance and worked outward. Yeah. The movie was built with that at the center of it. This could have been, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he starts going off in other tangents that, that derail it. And by the end, you're just going, well, what, what's the point here? Yeah. I um, think that it is anticlimactic. I think that it has tensions suggested by what the storyline, the plot itself, but they they don't follow through on the tension itself. They follow through on the storyline, but they don't build and generate any tension around it. But for me, the, the Blue Jasmine and and this film are Tennessee William dramas told from the perspective of somebody who doesn't have any real empathy for its damaged heroine. And that's, for me, why this one just doesn't work. Well, that's a good point, because in the movie, you've got, you've, you're constantly reminded about stage and screen and drama yep. and tragedy, yep. because Kate Winslet's character is, a, is an aspiring actress. A former from, actress. Former yeah. actress from way back in the day, who's long since given up those dreams. And then she starts having an affair with this younger lifeguard, Mickey, played by Timberlake. And he keeps telling everybody that he's a writer. We see no he's evidence of that. Plays. Yeah, we see no evidence no. of that, but he's going to write plays. And so you're constantly reminded about how people are always playing parts and they're lying to themselves to live and that there's, they always have these fatal flaws. So you get the feeling that it, it wants to build up to some sort of tragedy arc and it just never feels like it does. 
I did get a kick out of uh, Juno Temple's character, who's who's uh, Jim Belushi's uh, daughter, who mm-hmm. comes to town unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. She's being chased by a couple of mobsters, and they're played by Polly Walnuts and Bobby from The Sopranos, <laughs> and I love that. So nice casting there from Woody Allen. But yeah, it's not like it was horrible, but by the end it kind of went off in so many different directions. I thought it whatever you're trying to do here, you just you just didn't get there. No, I, I be honest with you, I think you liked it better than I did. I was I was disappointed in it and by the end pretty soured so one very lukewarm and one no thank you ma'am for woody allen's latest wonder wheel and another one opening family film animated film hitting theaters this weekend it's ferdinand the bull with the big heart is mistaken for a dangerous beast he's captured and torn from his home it's ferdinand I am here to select a bull. I'll take that one. Sucks to be you. I am not a fighting bull. Can you guys help me out? This is the beautiful horsey side, and that is the stinky bull side. Have a nice day, smelling terrible. Hi, <laughs> Hoofklaus. Hi, Hoofgetter. Nina needs me. I'm getting out of this place, and I'm not leaving anyone behind. Best ah. plan ever. Hit it. Wait for me. I've been waiting for this my whole sleep bitten life. So you're not familiar with this story at all? No, I was kind of surprised when you, when we started hearing about this movie, you had so much love in your heart for this, because I missed this completely growing up. This, yeah, this is a book I read constantly when I was very, very little. When I was first learning how to read, I read this book all the time. I loved it. You know, and it's a picture book. It's a children's picture book, so it's basically 32 sentences with lovely illustrations, and I was not at all happy to see it be drawn out into a 90-minute feature-length film because I knew that they were going to add so much padding to it and they were going to basically ruin my childhood. Well, Well, I'm happy to say they did not ruin my childhood. I thought for a second, I thought, well, maybe it got published after I was, you know, a little bit older. But no, it was published in 1936. I was going to say, uh, I'm pretty sure it was just one of those things. It was in my elementary school library for decades. I just missed it somehow. But it's good because I I hate that when you have such a such a fondness and then you have it ruined, but it's good news that it wasn't. No, it's it's true. And I mean, there's very little that they can do. You can't make a 32 sentences, you know, last for 90 minutes. So I understand that you have to pat it. And basically the book itself is just a story of of a giant bull who looks very intimidating, but he just likes to sit and smell flowers. And then one day he sits on a bee and then he tears around. And then so they capture him and they make him go be a, a, a bull in a bull ring and he doesn't fight. So it's, it's a lovely, um, it's, it is, it's just a lovely story about how you don't have to grow up to be what people think you are going to be. And it's a lovely story about conscientious objection. And this one you have to pat, and so they give him a childhood. You see what he's like. He's a very, very young bull. And in this case, he lives at a facility where they raise bulls specifically to fight. Well, you know, that shouldn't be overlooked. That can be quite difficult. When you have to pad something like that, you have to make it not feel so much like padding. Yeah. It's nice that they were able to do that. And the, the director here is certainly a, a animated animation veteran. He directed Rio, Rio 2, Ice Age. So not the greatest animated films right. in the world, but he's been around. So there you go. That's basically what you have here. The, the movie looks very nice. It doesn't look Pixar nice, but it looks very nice. And the characters are enjoyable. And I mean, it's a lovely film. Uh, it is it is nothing earth shattering. It's better than, let's say, Nutty by Nature or whatever that nut movie was. <laughs> the Nut Job. There you go. And The Nut Job too. And, it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a nice movie and it has some nice messages. It actually gets pretty dark. I was a bit surprised because across the hill from the farm where these bulls are raised is a meatpacking plant. 
And so the bulls that don't get chosen for the ring get shipped over to the meatpacking plant. And I thought, well, that's pretty dark. Okay. Um, you know, and um, Kate McKinnon is uh, the voice of a goat. She's very funny, of always course. Always is, yeah. She's always very funny. John Cena is is Ferdinand. I and- continue to say, continue to say, John Cena had whatever it is, he's got it. Because you know what? And, and of course, you, you understand this better than most people do. But it takes more than some people realize to be just a voice talent. It really does. It really does. Because, there's, you know, you can you can be the voice of a cartoon character and just fall flat. Or you can be Tom Hanks. And then all of a sudden, Woody, uh, Sheriff Woody, is one of the greatest characters you've ever seen. Exactly and, and right. And Cena does bring something to this. You know, of course, Kate McKinnon does. She's hilarious. <laughs> uh, and so, I mean, the, the movie is is nice. It's got a little social commentary, which is nice. Uh, and it's a pretty film, and uh, I didn't ruin my childhood. I mean, it's not, again, it's it's not one of the greatest animated films you're going right. to see, but, you know, if you and the kids have a bunch of I-don't-have-school-today time to kill, it's it's a pretty nice movie. There you go. Ferdinand rounding out the wide releases for this week, and we move on to the new selections on home video, Blu-ray streaming, and leading the pack, the latest Kingsman, Kingsman the Golden Circle. So if you like the first one, I think you'll like this one. And, you know, honestly, most people did enjoy it. The first film, even I found myself, I, I found it very enjoyable. Even if it's just for that Freebird scene. Exactly. So, for me, it was just for that Freebird <laughs> scene. It was pretty awesome. It was amazing. Uh, but, you know, it's a clever, a cheeky take on sort of the James Bond spy movies. And, and this one is, is absolutely more of the same. More of every single thing that they did in the first one, they just beat you about the head and neck with it in this one. So, for me, it was very definitely a cut below but, you know, if you really loved the first one, I think this will be passably enjoyable. And one that uh, I don't think is going to get even that good of a recommendation. Home Again is out on home video this week. <laughs> this is the debut for a writer-director that has a very successful mother. Yes. Haley Myers Shire, Shire whose mother, Nancy Myers, writes and directs a lot of things like something's got to give. It, it's complicated. Right. And, and some of those are very funny. They're, and very they're formulaic, yes. but she casts them well and she knows the audience. And basically the stories are just uh, sort of middle-aged to, to older women finally getting their due. Well, if you really wanted to see that set 25 years younger with somebody who has no reason not to have everything handed to her in the first place because she's Reese Witherspoon, it's just the most ridiculous, contrived, idiotic story. Uh, Reese Witherspoon is recently single. She turns 40 and she gets a little too drunk and she makes friends with a young filmmaker and then eventually lets the young filmmaker and his two male friends move into the guest house, regardless of the fact that she has two young girls living with her. So none of this would really happen. And uh, it turns out to be as predictable, just a predictable, nonsensical mess. Yeah, not, not one worth checking out. One that definitely is worth checking out if you know what you're getting in for, because it's a tough watch, but I think... One of the best movies of the year is out this week, and it's called Detroit, and it is the latest from Catherine Bigelow and Mark Bowl. Mark is the writer, Catherine Bigelow the director, and they have combined on some Zero great Dark movies. 30. Zero Dark Thirty, The Hurt Locker. The Hurt Locker, yeah. Uh, and this one goes back to take a look at events surrounding the 1967 Detroit riots, and it is brutal, it is ugly, it is in your face, but it is so well done, so well acted, and it's, it's, it, it'll shake you. Uh, before it's done, but it's done so well. So if you know what you're in for and can take it, I would definitely recommend Detroit. Agreed. And something much lighter, the latest trip movie is out this week. It's The Trip to Spain. It is Steve Coogan and Rob Brighton. 
If you've seen any of their trip movies, you know what you're in for. They are very funny. They get together and they go off on a trip to somewhere where they get commissioned to write about restaurants yep. and go out to eat and, and just make fun of each other, rib each other. And I'll <laughs> tell you what, it's this time. I'll be honest, it's wearing a little bit thin. Sure, but man, they're funny. They are really, really funny. Of course, the big bit that got viral, became a viral sensation, is the two of them trading Michael Caine impressions. And you've got a little bit of that this time, except this time it really Roger becomes Moore. Roger Moore. <laughs> and I, I was laughing really, really hard at the way they were continuing these Roger Moore impressions. But it's a lot more than that. It's very funny. Again, if this is your thing, and, uh, and if you've seen some of the other movies, well, even if you haven't, I think if these, you think these guys are funny, and I don't know why you wouldn't, uh, it's definitely worth checking out the trip to Spain out on home video this week. So a big week, definitely. But as we get closer to the holidays, it continues. We've got some stuff opening next week. So many things. So many. Holy cow. So many things that they have to start midweek and then spill over to the weekend. So on Wednesday of this week, on the 20th, it's a good day. What? It's your birthday. Shut up. Happy birthday. Thank you. They're going. It'll be the new Jumanji. Welcome to the jungle. And also the greatest showman. Right. Hugh Jackman as the uh, the birth of the circus. Also, oh man, opening next week, one that I hope is better than the trailer because the trailer looks absolutely horrendous. Father figures. Glenn Close, what are you doing? What are you doing, Glenn? Oh, and some... then the third Pitch Perfect, and I think the last. It, Can we? That's the way they're billing it. Yeah. But of course, if it makes a buttload of money, there's going to be more. But we'll see. Uh, Pitch Perfect 3, and one that we've already seen uh, getting a wide release, Matt Damon's latest downsizing where everybody gets small it's a weird movie but it is good yeah it is good it's effective so we'll talk about those and a lot more next week and any comments on star wars we'd love to hear them any or any of the movies that we talked about this week let us know easiest way to keep the conversation going is on twitter and that is at mad wolf m-a-d-d-w-o-l-f also we are at mad wolf columbus on facebook and instagram and the main website for the written reviews and a bunch of other stuff always that is madwolf.com the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of Marcus Crosswood Theater. Yes, check it out for the 70-feet-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound and the Dream Lounger recliners. That would be a sweet Last Jedi experience. So until next time, The Screening Room, a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is The Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Star Wars!